Welcome into the Top Buffs Countdown for the men's basketball program. We've been doing this with football for a number of years, started doing it with basketball as well. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined by the professor, Jake Shapiro. Jake, how are you? Uh, good. I just got done teaching my class. So uh, another banger of a class here in Journalism 404. Uh, and I love being a part of the CU Boulder community in a new, fun way. Awesome. What was the topic today? Uh, it was actually great for this conversation. I actually name dropped you. It was about workplace relationships and how to okay. deal with people you work with, your bosses, uh, people that work in PR and the athletes themselves. Something that I think gets maybe overlooked in journalism school a little bit because everything's about connections. So how do you make connections? How do you keep connections? How do you keep those relationships? Perfect. Awesome. Well, uh, usually we would have 13 guys on scholarship to count down here, but we all know uh, Mason Faulkner left the bus high and dry. And of course, Quincy Allen is out for the season with a hip injury, so they will not be included in this. But Jake, let's jump right into it. And at number 11 is going to be somebody that's coming back from an, from an injury, and that's guard Javon Ruffin, the son of longtime NBA player and current Phoenix Suns assistant coach, Michael Ruffin. I have pretty high expectations for his career, but I think, Jake, you got to kind of limit those expectations. He was clear to practice once they had just started preseason camp, so he's got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, he's not someone I expect to contribute right away. He only played a few minutes in the mind scrimmage in Boulder. Um He's not going to be a rotation guy in my mind this year, at least maybe until very late or if there are injuries. Um, like you said, I like his ability in the future. He's a really good finisher for his size. He's got a nice frame. Uh, obviously, he's going to have a certain level of IQ that you see with Jabari Walker that's innate because his dad was also a professional basketball player. Uh, you just grow up around the game. You get that. It, it's a special thing that these guys have. Uh, but it's hard to say what I've seen from Ruffin because he's been, you know, injured or just coming back. And I don't want to make those judgments yet. I'm just mostly going off tape and what I've heard from people. So uh, he's not someone I expect to be a huge contributor to this team. But ultimately, if he's thrust into a position like Tristan Da Silva, where he needs to spell somebody and play maybe 10 minutes a night for a handful of games in February, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It, it, it's not going to be a death sentence to this team. So, yeah, I I think Javon Ruffin is a guy in the future. Great addition, great guy to have. I love this scholarship from Tad Boyle, but this year there's some guards ahead of Javon that are definitely going to get some playing time, and that's why he's 11th on this list. He moved all over the place which as during his childhood, which is pretty typical being the, the son of a guy that's playing NBA and he played overseas for a while. And he went to the grind session and played for the Phoenix grind session team last year, went up against top competition. And he was really starting to kind of be a borderline blue chip recruit by the time he injured his knee. Initially, they said it's going to be six to eight weeks. They went in there to clean up the kneecap issue and there was cartilage, cartilage damage as well. So that's what resulted in about a six and a half month recovery. Again, he didn't get a chance to participate with the team in those practices leading up to the Costa Rica trip. It was good for him, though. He did get to go on that trip and participate in the team building stuff. One thing I like about him, Jake, is just his versatility. This is a guy that's 
brought in as a combo guard. So he's got the handle and can handle the ball. I don't think he's ever going to be a, a true point guard at CU, but he's also got enough size that he can play on the wing. He told me that like a couple of guys, Nick Clifford's another one we'll talk about later in the countdown that he wants to have the ability to guard one through four. And I think he's maybe four stretching a little bit, depending on the matchup though. He is a versatile guy that, that will be in this program and, and maybe for five years because we didn't see him playing that scrimmage at Nebraska. Maybe he will you know, one of the things he said is that his favorite player is Drew Holiday. So it goes completely in line with your one through four uh, theory. And, you know, the four in college basketball is a little different than the four in the NBA. And granted, they might be the same size at six foot seven or so, but a four in the NBA at this point is really a perimeter player. The four in college basketball for most teams is still mainly an interior player. Uh, so that's going to be hard for Javon Ruffin at his size to guard at least early on in his career. Maybe if he adds some tremendous amount of weight, he'll be able to do that because you think of Eli Parquet, I wouldn't be too upset with Eli Parquet guarding a six foot seven guy. Like that wouldn't be a, that wouldn't be a killer. Uh, now a seven footer, no way. So maybe Javon Ruffin is able to get up to that caliber defensively. But again, we're talking about all pack 12 defender and Eli Parquet, like one of the best defenders in college basketball walking into this season. So one of the things I, I do like from Javon Ruffin that you mentioned is he went up against some of the top players. You look at a guy like Neat Clifford who stayed in Colorado and he was playing against nobodies. He was playing against people that I went to high school with basically that, you know, not that good, you know, Javon Ruffin was getting some major looks. And what I think this really does to a player playing against that caliber of guys in high school and AAU ball is you can't just rim run and get to the hoop every time and finish because you're athleticism and you're better than everybody else. And you just flash that you have to have some smartness, some IQ and the ability to make some reads and watching his tape. Yeah. Are there a lot of dunks? Yes. He's, he's an athletic guy, but you can see that there are some reads he makes that are very good reads and good decisions. And yeah, like you're saying, I don't know that I'll ever be a point guard, but having a combo guard and having two combo guards is kind of been Tad Boyle's recipe for success. Aside from McKinley, Wright. Like Spencer Dinwiddie was a combo guard with the Skia Booker here. Like a lot of the guys he's had, Alec Burks is a shooting guard that was playing combo guard. A lot of these guys have been combo guards. Tad Boyle likes combo guards. The last thing I'll say here before we move to number 10 is it's a good thing for CU's program that a guy as talented as Javon Ruffin is the first guy we're talking about going in reverse order on this top ups countdown. So that's a good sign for the future. Number 10 is Julian Hammond, obviously a, a dual sport athlete during his career at Cherry Creek and now gets to focus exclusively on basketball. This is the, the least hyped guy in that vaunted recruiting class that Tad Boyle brought in Jake. And you know, I, I think that's partly because he was splitting time in high school, but also because Julian Hammond does a lot while he does a lot of things really well, there's not one area of his game. that's really going to, you know, blow you away. Right. He's kind of a well-rounded player, but nothing at this stage is all that exceptional. Yeah. And it's hard. Uh, you're playing at Cherry Creek. You're around a bunch of other good players. It wasn't like he was the, even if he was the starter, so to speak of his team, it wasn't like, you know, it was him carrying a bunch of Joe Schmoes. They, they were a talented team. I think, I was talking to some people at Cherry Creek and I'm not sure who ended up playing for that basketball team his senior year, but his junior year, 
he's playing college bat or he's playing high school basketball with like three dudes who ended up playing college football, like Iowa and stuff. Like he's playing with, you know, maybe they're not the best basketball players, but he's playing high school basketball with insane caliber athletes. Um, the same athletes that he's on the football field with winning a state title at Cherry Creek. Now I haven't seen Julian Hammond play in a game in person. Um, that is competitive. I, I didn't see him play high school basketball, but I saw him play high school football a bunch. Uh, I was tasked to cover, uh, th- those Cherry Creek teams a bunch when I've been working for the post. And what stood out to me about Julian is he is obviously very athletic, but he makes a lot of really good decisions on the football field. And I think that IQ can translate onto the basketball court as well. There's a certain calmness to his game and demeanor where he does not get, uh, it doesn't look like he shouldn't be in situations. He seems like he knows where he should be and he does not get out of place. And you go talk to him after a big game winning thing or, you know, a game winning play. And he's a really calm guy. He's in his own head. He's, he's, he's got that even keel demeanor. And I think Tad's got to love that about Julian. Uh, I also really like that Julian, like you said, well-rounded guy. Uh, and maybe that's why, you know, you don't look at him and go, oh, his athleticism stands out. His shooting stands out. His playmakes, he's just a, a, a canvas to work on with Tad Boyle. There's a lot of stuff that Julian can add to his game, but his bar is already which is great. And again, we're talking about for Tad Boyle to have off the end of his bench. This is a guy that I think you would probably like to redshirt, but again, Mason Faulkner not being here, it forces you to put Julian Hammond into your rotation this year. What's your expectation for the number of minutes that Hammond will likely play throughout the course of the season? You know, it's one of those things where I could see him increasing in minutes throughout the course of the year. Uh, he, he got a handful of minutes, uh, or two handful of minutes, quite literally in the first two scrimmage about 10, uh, you know, that's kind of where I would see Julian Hammond getting 10 minutes. Um, but we're having him at 10 tad Boyle kind of narrows that rotation down to eight guys by the end of the season. And I think ultimately Julian Hammond and KJ Simpson are going to be two guys fighting for those backup, uh, guard position minutes. Uh, and not only uh, Mason Faulkner not being here, but Quincy Allen uh, being hurt. Those are the things impacting Julian. Like you said, Julian Hammond playing. Uh, Javon Ruff is still probably getting redshirt. And him is going to be forced to play. You need 10 players. You need 10 scholarship players. And that could be good for Julian's development too. Like that, you don't have to sit here waiting for these guys to be good in their fifth year. Like, yeah, did Luke O'Brien get a free year last year? Sure. But you also saw Luke O'Brien grow tremendously last year. And that's part of it. it, it getting those handful of minutes here and there, getting in games like against New Mexico, where you're going to get an extended run maybe at the end of the game when the leash is not as short. Uh, this is a growing opportunity for Julian Hammond and an opportunity to get a lot better and improve his game in a lot of aspects. And I ultimately think for these guys that come out of Colorado, it's not practice where they're going to learn. They need to learn how to get to game speed in the NCAA, in the Pac-12, because that's when they see, oh, 5A basketball in Chassa is a lot different than Pac-12 basketball. And granted, some of these guys have played AAU, but it, it really is. And I think that shock kind of hits them once they're on the court at Sox Walseth. You kind of led us into our next guy in the countdown here at number nine is Luke O'Brien. 
I think Jake, you could probably say he's the best shooter on this team. Now, I think it's going to come with uh, some, some streak in there. I think there's going to be nights where he's struggling to get that shot down, but there's going to be other nights where he kind of goes off. So I think it's going to be kind of a hot and cold season with him. But one thing I really like about Luke O'Brien is just the energy that he plays with out there. He's a guy that's always hustling, and he's become a better rebounder during his time in Boulder so far and put on some good weight as well. He's going to get a lot of Lucas Seawork comparisons uh, because he's a shooter and he's white and he's big like that. Like that's what's going to happen. Um, but I think where Lucas was early on in his career is not where Luke O'Brien is like Luke O'Brien's ahead of where Lucas was. Lucas was not a very good rebounder till his senior year. Uh, I like Luke's uh, Luke's coming off the bench. They can have Luke play some, you know, playmaking roles and, uh, Luke did this last year. Luke brought the ball up. Luke did some things in, you know, some non-tight situations that were indicative of a point guard and he's six foot seven. Uh, now do I think he's going to be pulling up for three behind pick and rolls? No, he's more of a catch and shoot guy, but he can move that ball around. And he's someone that I think is going to be someone that Tad Boyle trusts with the ball in his hands. So, you know, and this is one of those cases where Luke O'Brien was the star of his high school star of maybe Colorado state basketball when he was in, in, in team on the floor and it into his game because he's able to do, you know, different things with the basketball. He's able to um, command an offense, able to command a team. Luke's got some leadership abilities. I don't think they're going to show up this year because they're not needed to, but I see him as being a future leader of this team as well. Uh, I am really, really high on Luke O'Brien. I really like the way he interacts with his teammates. Uh, to me, it's a question of, can he get that frame, which looks a lot better than it did in high school? He looked great now physically. Can he get that frame to being a really good physical defender? Because he's going to be a little bit undersized to be in the post, but he's also going to be a little bit, you know, maybe slower to be on the perimeter. So where does Luke O'Brien fit defensively and how much can he motor around to cover for maybe some of his inefficiencies? Because he's going to be a plus player on offense. Uh, when his shot is hitting and the buffs are going to need that shot to hit and they're going to need him to keep shooting. Because like you said, you look at the rest of the roster and Luke's the only guy you'd probably qualify as a shooter. Other guys can shoot. Luke is a shooter. At number eight on our list is KJ Simpson, obviously signed with Arizona initially. Sean Miller gets fired. Then he changes up and gets let out, let out of his letter of intent signs with Colorado. And Jake, the number one thing that stands out to me about him is just his confidence. He came in day one. Uh, it wasn't this wide-eyed look on his face. He felt like he fit in from the jump. And, and one of the quickest players we've seen, seen come into CU's program. Yeah, I didn't expect him to, to be above Luke O'Brien initially. And, you know, I said this to you, anyone nine through five on this list could probably go any other way. Uh, I probably would have put Luke in front of KJ just because of where Luke was last year. But with KJ Simpson, uh, he just won a state title in California. And it's easy to see why you'd have that confidence and you wouldn't be wide-eyed because you're winning a state title in California against some of the top high school basketball players in the country. You got to feel pretty damn good about yourself. And he came in here to Colorado and not only did he carry that bravado, but he's brought that onto the court and Tad Boyle's already played him, you know, 20 minutes a game in these scrimmages. And not only that, 
KJ, I think, was what the leading scorer in that one game against uh, Mines with 12 points. I mean, granted, it was only 12 points, and you know, they're splitting minutes, they're only playing 20 minutes a night, and anyone in the rotation is playing 20 minutes a night, but <coughs> it shows what KJ can do with a limited amount of touches and do quickly. Uh, so I think he's someone that might give Tad Boyle some growing pains because he is a freshman. But I also think that it's going to be hard to take KJ Simpson off the floor at times. And he's going to be someone the fans are going to adore. He's going to be like kind of like that backup quarterback where it's like, why, why isn't he out there? Why isn't he out there? You know, because one, he's, he's fun to watch play. He's got a lot of confidence. He's got a fun haircut. Like he does all the fun things, but he's also a good player and he brings a lot of energy and you know, not to say anything about anyone energy wise on this team, because Evan Batty obviously has a tremendous amount of energy. Jabari Walker brings that fire, but and, and those guys maybe bring it pretty consistently, but KJ Simpson, you know, I think is going to learn how to bring that energy consistently through Evan Batty, but KJ can also be that spark plug and provide like that bones Highland energy that the nuggets have right now. Anytime they bring bones off the bench where he instantly energizes your lineup. Now, do I think KJ Simpson is that much of a bucket? No. Um, but he can develop that. He's got some of those raw skills to get to that level. He has a good base to shoot. He has a good base to playmaking. He has a good base to finishing. He can do a lot of different things on the basketball court. And again, with Tad Boyle, it's ultimately, can he prove himself defensively to stay out on the court to do what he wants to do on offense? And that's pretty much across the board with any freshman that comes into Colorado is you got to start proving it on defense because you maybe didn't have to do that in high school. Just to talk a little bit more about the depth on this program, Jake, I think from one till nine on the li- on this list, going down to Luke O'Brien, there's going to be a game this season where probably all nine of those guys have at least one night where they're the best player on the team, where one of them, you know, Luke O'Brien gets hot or KJ Simpson really, uh, you know, runs the show for a while. And at the end of that game, you kind of look at the box score and think back on the game and go, you know, tonight that guy was the best buff out there. Uh, do, you, do you think I'm off there? I really do think that each of these guys are going to have that night where they kind of stand alone and stand out by themselves. Uh, the only one might be Tristan De Silva, just because he's like so steady. I don't know that he's mm-hmm. going to have a blow up game, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, the the difference between the buffs first best player and ninth best player is not that much on a on, on like a game, like could, could be the same, any single game. Now it's the consistency of Evan Batty that sets him apart. Um, and hopefully it's the same thing with Jabari Walker this season, but in reality, the raw ability of Luke O'Brien is not that far off that of Evan Batty. And that's the one through nine. And this is what happens when you bring in a top 10 recruiting class or whatever, and ended up being a top 11, top 12 recruiting class right behind you know, guys that had also been really good. You know, you're bringing in a lot of talent to a team that was also pretty solid that just went to the NCAA tournament. Granted, they lost a lot of guys, but they still have a couple core guys. You know, you're supplementing a lot of talent with talent already. Some of those guys, and we talk about this in football, are going to be recruited over, so to speak. It's harder for this to happen in basketball, but you're starting to see a little bit of that on the hardwood. At number seven is the second highest rated signee in modern CU basketball history. And that's a seven footer from Wyoming, Lawson Lovering. 
Jake, I think he's got a chance to work his way up and be higher than seventh at the end of the season, but we're kind of projecting how things are at the start of the season. Lawson Lovering's got a lot to learn. You love what he brings as a freshman defensively. He's missing some of those bunnies around the rim. I think that's just something that uh, he's going to improve on steadily as the game kind of slows down for him a little bit. But going against Evan Batty every day in practice has obviously been huge for him. What are your expectations for Lawson Lovering this season? I think Tad Boyle's going to have a hard time taking off the court because he's the biggest guy and he's going to rebound a lot. Like Tad loves rebounding and Lawson's their only size. Evan. Yeah. Evan's a bowling ball. He's six foot eight and in, in big, but he is undersized for the PAC 12 Lawson's their only guy inside that is of the same height of the tree, the trees around the conference. And they're going to need that size. They're going to need those five fouls. They're going to need anything that Lawson Lovering can give him, uh, give their team, because uh, he could ultimately, if he somehow finds a way into the starting lineup, which I'm not sure how he would, because Tad does not like playing three bigs. And that's what he would be doing with Lovering, Batty and Walker, because uh, that's where the slot would be, would be pushing Walker down to the small forward. But if that somehow can happen, um, the buffs are going to be unbelievably good. I don't think that's going to happen, uh, but Lawson's, Lawson could be a guy in the future that's a defensive anchor. He could be a guy on offense that has a tremendous post game to go with a three-point shot because he's one of those modern stretch bigs. He can handle the ball just a little bit as well. Uh, and being the size that he is, he should be able to snatch up some rebounds. Uh, you talk about him being the second highest recruit of the modern C basketball era, and I think that's behind Josh Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw how impactful Josh Scott was for four years. And, you know, he didn't go to the NBA, but he's had a tremendous pro pro career overseas. Lawson Lovering has the chance to not only do that, but one up Josh. Uh, And I'm not talking about, I'm not going to put Lawson Lovering in the same sentence as Josh Scott and saying, Hey, I expect him to have a better college career than Josh Scott. One of the best CU athletes of all time. No, I'm saying Lawson has the potential to basically go wherever he wants to go. Now, It's a matter of, can he get to that level? And like you said, there's a lot of growth to get to that level, but what he offers them right now at the very least is a nice touch, some rebounding, and maybe some stretch shooting. And that in itself is enough to get into the rotation. So if he can start adding to that, and by the end of the year, start going, should they start lovering over Batty? Which sounds crazy because Evan Batty, as we know, is a really good player that's going to be a really good spot for Lawson to be in. And a good character kid that uh, Tad Boyle has said that he's a sponge just in terms of the coaching. And you've really seen, I kind of go back to, and, and these guys did some good things in their CEO career. So maybe this isn't uh, fair, but I think our image of XJ and Wesley Gordon is when they're suspended at Cal snickering on the bench late in the blowout loss You've seen Tad Boyle really put an emphasis on character with recruiting and not that all these, all these guys are choir boys, but, you know, I think he's put a premium on how this locker room meshes. And he talks about when they bring recruits out on a visit, if you see something you don't like from this recruit, please come to the coaches because they want to nip that in the bud. They don't want that as part of their program. Lawson Lovering, like I said, you almost want him to be a little bit more cocky than he is. He's such a, a low key, humble kid. 
but that also plays into why they got him. You know, if he was a cocky kid, he probably goes to UCLA out of Wyoming. You know, uh, there's there's a reason why he's at Colorado, and it's because he fits the build of wanting to play in Boulder for Tad Boyle. And that is a good thing because Lawson had the ability to go to a lot of different places. Uh, I also think this one, when you talk about that with Tad Boyle, you know, Tad's walked into gyms and offered guys scholarships very quickly. Uh, And that's worked out great. And that's worked out poorly. One of the cases where it worked out great was George King. He's one of the best character guys Tad Boyle's ever had. Uh, So Tad Boyle is not perfect still. We saw this just happen with Mason Faulkner and just a bunch of stuff happened come up. Uh, He's going to have some misses with character because it's really hard to judge an 18 year old off of maybe two hours of interactions max, but he absolutely nailed loss and levering to the best of our abilities to judge it right now. Uh, and, you know, judging from the interactions I've also had with his family, uh, this is a dude that's going to be uh, someone that that's good to have around the Colorado Buffaloes program for a long time. And I'm already getting the sense that I feel and other fans will feel Hey, I want this guy to do well because it's going to be a great rep- uh, reputation and a great uh, pull bearer for the rest of the university. At number six, this might surprise some people that might be more excited about Lawson Lovery and KJ Simpson coming in just because of the hype those guys garnered during the recruiting process. But number six is Nick Clifford. Tad Boyle referred to him at Media Day as basically a sixth starter. That's how he sees Nick Clifford going into the season. And he's rebounded the ball really well in the preseason. Uh, did that well both in both of those preseason scrimmages. Again, versatility. This is a guy that can do a lot of things. Isn't going to necessarily wow you with one aspect. What are your expectations for Nick Clifford? You know, he played less than... 60 minutes last year, and he already has more points in the scrimmages than he had last year in the entire season. Uh, Neek, it's hard to say because of that. I also absolutely love Neek Clifford's game, and so do scouts. Uh, They were so late on Neek Clifford because he was a 3A player. Tad Boyle got him, got him early, and a lot of people came after Neek Clifford in the recruiting process right after and people from UCLA, people from Kansas, people going, oh, we really missed on this kid. Um, and there was some buzz in the springs from people that are really great basketball minds that I talked to going, this kid has the potential to be an NBA guy. Uh, I haven't said this about anyone on the list to this point, including Lawson Lovering. I don't know if I'll say it about anyone else, including Jabari Walker. But Neat Clifford has uh, some really good tools to work with in his toolbox. and. I think that, you know, Tad Boyle called him a six starter. I think he's going to be starting by the end of the year. I think, I think Nick Clifford with his rebounding, I think he's going to offer some defensive versatility. I think he packs a punch from the wing with what he can do on offense. Hopefully he'll be able to shoot, uh, but he can do a lot of different things. And he was really, really good in high school and no one was paying attention because he was at Vanguard, I think. And, uh, you know, Tad Boyle caught on early. And this is one of those cases where you go, uh, you know, there, there's two different sects of the bus fan fan base. Uh, it's Tad needs to recruit Colorado better. Why are these guys leaving the state? And why is Tad recruiting Colorado? Well, uh, both of those overlap in the middle with they got me Clifford. And that answers kind of both questions of Tad's recruiting Colorado good enough because they end up with guys like me Clifford. And, you know, they're recruiting Colorado because they end up with guys like Nick Clifford. And it's a it's an interesting story there because the summer before his sophomore year of high school, 
he goes up to a CU camp and they're not even looking at him. He's playing with kind of the, the second group of kids, not the elite kids at their camp. He grows four and a half inches and all of a sudden the next summer he becomes a top priority for him. So cool story there. That is six through 11 on our top buffs countdown. We're going to be back and we're going to count down the top five. Welcome back into the top buffs countdown for the basketball team set to tip off the 2021-2022 season on November 9th. Number five is Tristan De Silva, a second year buff. Jake, I, I not to say that Tad Boyle gets annoyed when he gets asked about Jabari Walker, but it's like he almost goes out of his way every time he gets asked about Jabari Walker to bring up Tristan De Silva. As in, this guy has a lot of potential and you guys are sleeping on him. And, and so he's a guy that, that Tad's brought up more than anybody this preseason. You know, when we talk about potential and ceilings, we often look at a guy's body and athleticism and say, what can they add? But oftentimes we don't say, hey, they've already got these hard to teach or unteachable skills like IQ and awareness and these things that really don't come to basketball players, maybe until even they're in the NBA in their late 20s. Tristan De Silva, and maybe this is due to his Euro education and the way Euro basketball players are taught, which hasn't translated at all to Colorado basketball, except with a handful of guys. <clears throat> but Tristan De Silva is so aware on the court. Like he seems to never be in the wrong place. And that in itself is so valuable. I mean, we're not playing 2K here. Like it's hard to know where you're supposed to be. Like they don't know the routes like Madden. Like they don't know everything. Like they have to map it out in their head and have spatial awareness and all these different things that are really hard that are besides shooting the basketball and dribbling the basketball, things that we don't consider. And those are the things that Tristan De Silva does really well. And those are called the little things. Um, I think they're big things, to be honest. People say the little things are the big things. I hate that cliche because if you don't know where to be, you don't know how to space the floor. That's a pretty big thing to me. That's not a little thing. Um, and De Silva knows how to do these things. And oh yeah, he is consistent. He provides a same calmness, a same level of getting to the rebounds in every single game that he played in last year, which was just a handful of real opportunity. He had to step up when Jabari Walker was hurt and he did so valiantly. Uh, he has already proved in the two exhibitions that that was not a misnomer. None of us thought that that was a misnomer. Uh, so De Silva is going to be a valuable player to this team. Now, does he provide the sexiness of a Jabari Walker or maybe even a Neat Clifford or KJ Simpson off the bench? Absolutely not. But you also have to consider that his brother was just one of the best players in the Pac-12. And that might be within him somewhere. And that might be the growth that he can get to. I don't expect him to be Oscar Da Silva. I expect him to be Tristan Da Silva, which is a different basketball player. But that's not to say that he can't be an extremely good and valuable four-year player here at the University of Colorado, maybe five-year player even, uh, if he's doing all these different things, particularly all the things that his head coach adores in a basketball player. Uh, you know, Tad Boyle's had his favorites over the years, but you could already say that Tristan Da Silva is in that list of favorites that Tad's had. Is the biggest question with him just, is Tristan De Silva going to be aggressive enough? I think it's not only, is he going to be aggressive enough, but can he consistently shoot the ball when there's actually pressure on him? Can he step up and provide enough scoring, provide enough 
plays that aren't simply just, you know, getting a rebound here or there, uh, getting these box outs, you know, getting your rotations right. It's about getting to that next level of, hey, we need a bucket here. Can Tristan De Silva do that? I don't know that he's there at this point in his career. I think he's more of a role player, which is fine. You can be a role player. You can be a valuable role player. Look at the career P.J. Tucker's carved out. He's been a phenomenal NBA player. Um, But when you need a bucket, Tad Boyle might be a little bit more uh, opportune to put a neat Clifford in the game or K.J. Simpson in the game or Luke O'Brien to shoot rather than Tristan Silva at this point in his career. But Tristan with the lineup that Tad Boyle has with Jabari Walker and Evan Batty and these guys, Tristan is possibly the best rebounder. It's between Jabari and Tristan. Evan's not a great rebounder. He's a situational rebounder, a guy that gets box outs. And one of the guys of Tristan, Jabari, Evan, or Lawson is going to have to step up and get boards and eat boards for this team. And I think it might be Tristan. And if it's Tristan, Tristan's not coming out of that lineup. The next guy on our countdown might surprise the folks that tuned out once last season ended. If you hadn't been paying attention over the summer and preseason, you might be surprised that Keyshawn Bartholomew is all the way up to number four on this countdown. But Jake, he's really improved his game and kind of shown in practice why he was a four-star guy coming out of high school. He uh, shaved the hair down a little bit, new look. And uh, new confidence from him. And the other thing that really stands out when you go to CU practices is how vocal Keyshawn Bartholomew is. He's really stepped up as a leader, learned a lot from McKinley Wright as kind of his understudy. And I know that he struggled, but Tad Boyle has said that last year he had one of the toughest jobs in the country having to back up McKinley Wright. I think one of the most unfortunate things about that Spencer Dinwiddie injury all those years ago was that Dom Collier was not able to learn from Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, and I think that set the Buff program back a couple of years, to be honest. Uh, Neat Cliff, or not Neat Clifford, Keyshawn Bartholomew coming in, I was so high on. And he just has not had an opportunity to prove himself on the court, really. Uh, he had that chance late in the year uh, in the tournament games in the Pac-12 where he kind of flashed and stuff. And you were thinking, okay. There it is. But he never got more than a couple minutes here or there because McKinley Wright was just so phenomenal. And that's okay. And hopefully he was able to see what McKinley Wright was doing from the bench. Hopefully he was able to see what he was doing in practice and learn from it. Uh, The things that concern me with Keyshawn Bartholomew are efficiency issues. He's not the best, you know, in terms of efficiency with shooting. Uh, He's pretty solid at taking care of the ball. He's got a good handle. I like the decisions he makes on the basketball court. He's good at getting downhill, similar to McKinley Wright in that vein. But he's also a better natural shooter than McKinley Wright. But again, it's the efficiency, making sure you're taking good shots. Can he get good shots without such a dominant wing or big score? You know, McKinley had uh, such a great game that he was able to get Jabari Walker shots. Can Keyshawn Bartholomew get Jabari Walker those same looks? I'm not so sure that he can, at least early on. But these are like nitpicking issues of a guy that's going to captain the CU offense uh, and be one of the most important players on this team, if not the X factor for this team. And how much can he grow? How much can he really take over and being the point guard, uh, captaining the ship on offense, you know, speaking up, telling Evan Batty maybe no sometimes and saying, I want to do it this way. You know, it's Keyshawn's, it's Keyshawn's team. 
you know, you're seeing this right now with the Nuggets and, and Michael Malone. Uh, they've got Nicole Jokic, they've got Michael Porter, they've got Will Barton, they've got all these guys making money in the MVP. But their point guard's Monte Morris. They're run by Monte Morris. You know, the Buffs don't have those star players around Keyshawn Bartholomew, but it's the point guard's team. It's his team. Staying in the backcourt, the other starting guard is senior Eli Parquet. He was a first-team All-Pac-12 defensive player last year. Disappointed that he wasn't named the outright Pac-12 defensive player of the year. That's what he's going for this year. Jake, you wrote a story about that. You know, I, he's number three on the list, so some you know, fringe casual basketball fans might expect that to mean that he's going to be a big scorer. I don't think that's going to be the case. He's going to, I don't think you necessarily want that either. You want him to continue to be that efficient guy. I think maybe there are certain circumstances where he steps up a little bit more offensively than he did before. But again, I don't think you really want him going too far outside of what he did last year. I think he would take his performance last year, this year, right? Yeah, he was, quite literally the most effective player for his role in college basketball last year, which was three and D Uh, the only guys that were better than him had way higher usage rates. So it would be like a guy like Davion Mitchell. And he was just as good as Davion Mitchell. Granted, he didn't have to do nearly as much as a Davion Mitchell uh, because McKinley Wright existed. No player that was as efficient as Eli Parquet scored as few points as he did. And I was asking Eli, uh, about, you know, just his life story and stuff like that. And he, like you said, he was so pissed that he didn't get that Pac-12 deploy. Um, and he already has a spot on his arm for where he's going to tattoo Pac-12 deploy. Like he knows. So he, I mean, this, this man wants Pac-12 deploy so bad. And I think he could get there. My bigger questions is not of his ability, but can the buffs be good enough where the PAC 12 writers are going to be watching them and going Eli Eli Parquet took them from being, you know, an eight seed to a a PAC 12 by team, you know, no one gives MVPs to the team in last place. Can the buffs be good enough to where Eli Parquet's deep hoiness really shows out. Uh, And, you know, I disagree with you in saying you, you don't want more from Eli. I think you do want a little bit more. I think he needs to take some more off dribble shots. I think he needs to put up more shots this year because he's going to need to. Uh, those shots are going to go around. Those McKinley, the McKinley right usage is not going to all be on Keyshawn Bartholomew and then spread to Evan Batty. It's going to go all around the starting lineup. And one of the things I liked about Eli Parquet that was very underrated is he has a really good ability to create shots and plays late in the shot clock. And I think when their offense, the motion offense or floppy runs out or whatever, the tab oil runs the circle over and over uh, and it ends up with Eli Parquet's hands. Eli has the ability to make, you know, two dribbles, pull up jumper, two dribbles, pull up, make a pass. uh, And he does it pretty well. And he is a senior. He needs to do those things. He needs to step his game up another level. And if he does so, not only can he be a Pac-12 depoy, but he should be on the Pac-12 maybe all conference team, all conference second team, if he does those things, because if you're talking about the best defense player in the country, and then you add in maybe nine points a game on efficient shooting, you're talking about, you know, a second team conference player. So that's something the buffs have that again, Adam, you're going, Hey, no, none of our fans are really going to talk about this because he's not even getting more than 12, 15 points a game. And, you know, maybe his highest scoring output of the year might not even be 20, but that doesn't mean he's not an extremely valuable player. And Eli Parquet is the guy that's going to be shutting down Remy Martin come, 
you know, CU event center uh, against Kansas in December. It shouldn't be this way, but the more offense that Eli Parquet generates, that's going to help his defensive player of the year candidacy as well. It shouldn't be that way, but the guys that are voting for that aren't watching every game of every team. So the more he stands out on that end of the court, it's going to help you notice him just in general, which again, it shouldn't be the case, but anything he can do more offensively will help him in terms of that voting. Number two is Jabari Walker. Jake, uh, I think this is kind of based on potential here. I don't think it's clear cut that he's number two on this list. Uh, We saw him struggle in those two exhibition games. Uh, He fouled out of their second one against Nebraska. That's going to be the biggest issue for him is now he is going to be towards the top of other team scouting report. And they're going to try to get him in foul trouble. And Nebraska was successful doing that this past Sunday. You know, uh, by the list of how we do it with where players are at now in the buff countdown, I actually probably would have put Parquet above Walker, but I didn't really want to make waves and, you know, have that argument and, Oh, hot take Shapiro back at it again. Uh, I wanted the context of why, uh, I think, I think the we're talking about Eli Parquet as a possible depoy. That's one of the best players in the conference. You can make a case that Eli Parquet is actually number one on this list. If, if we're talking about him as a depoy, um, Jabari Walker is hella good. So is Evan Batty. Like they're great. Um, but you're talking about Parquet at another level. Jabari Walker is a guy that has not consistently shown it yet. And what really concerns me is Jabari Walker took a lot of open threes and he hit them last year. And that's great, but it really boosted up his points per game. And I asked Jabari about this last year. I said, Jabari, what are you going to do next year when McKinley's not giving you all these open looks? And he said, I've already thought about it and I'm just, I'm just enjoying it while I can for now. Um, When you're looking at the buffs offense, you might be taking Jabari Walker as the number one option if you're the other team looking at the scouting report based on last year's numbers. There is going to be good defenders on Jabari Walker. They are going to be tight to him. They think that he can shoot nonstop because he shot over 50% last year, and maybe he really is a great shooter. I don't know, but that sample size was a little too small for me to really judge it yet. But you mentioned another thing, Adam, staying on the court. The Buffs had four bigs last year, and those five fouls, that each can give are so valuable. And then they had straighting who can give another five fouls. Um, Jabari Walker comes off the floor. You got Lawson Lovering, but then you don't have that much big behind him. You, you got the Silva, but you're running out of fouls. And that's something that Jabari Walker is going to have to manage. Just like Evan Batty struggled with his sophomore season was that foul issues. Um, Batty's gotten a lot better at it, but Batty's going to run into foul issues here and there still too. So you're looking at a buff starting front court and their top two players as judged by this list on this team that are going to get into foul issues. Now take all that negativity aside because you're looking at a phenomenal basketball player and a basketball player that could go in the lottery this year. Uh, he could leave college early this year and be a lottery pick. How many times have we talked about that in the Tad Boyle era? How many lottery picks does Tad have? I, I don't think any, right? A- Alec Burks was a lottery pick. Maybe. Um, I can't think off the top of my head, but you're looking at a case for Jabari Walker to be the highest drafted player of the Tad Boyle era after this season. I'm not sure that that happens, but that is one of the ways this season can go. Uh, But he needs to get consistency down. He needs to figure out how to play when he is focused on as the main player. And he needs to add some tenacity to his game defensively where he can show some switchability. Uh, 
And I think he needs to show that he's, he has some ball handling ability as well. And he can create his own shots some more. Uh, but besides all that, he looks to be and projects to be as a very, very good three and D modern day NBA power forward. Now it's just about fine tuning those skills. And some of the things I worry about aside from, you know, what I've mentioned with Jabari is Tad Boyle has historically struggled with figuring out how to get wings offense. Deshaun Schwartz should have probably scored way more points at Colorado. Xavier Johnson probably should have scored more points at Colorado. And those guys get frustrated. I wonder without a very dominant point guard, how are we going to see this offense as it's run through Jabari Walker and Evan Batty? Because the only players we've seen akin to those, Josh Scott was so dominant in the post that it's not really akin to Evan Batty. And Xavier Johnson and Deshaun Schwartz had point guards running those teams when they were phenomenal. So what can Jabari Walker do without McKinley Wright? I think that's probably the biggest questions, the, the question the Buffs have this year, um, because that three-point shooting ability is not going to be repeated. It's a, he's not going to shoot 50% again, but can he shoot 38? Can he shoot 40 even at a higher clip, you know, shooting more if he does that, that that's another thing that can take the buffs to the next level. And number one, no surprise is Evan Batty, not just for what he does on the court, but what he does off the court in terms of his leadership. Tad Boyle said a couple of years ago that he's the most popular kid on campus and uh, I don't doubt it. He's going to go off and play professional basketball somewhere next year. But when that ends, he's going to be back in Boulder. He's already told me that, that he wants to be part of the Buffaloes program in the future. He has aspirations to be a head coach or an athletic director. And uh, if you know Evan, you don't, you don't uh, put anything outside of his reach. But for now, he's going into a senior year here as a buff. And, uh, you know, there's not that number one guy on the list that's an All-American candidate this year. There's a lot of depth on this team, one to nine even one to 11, if you go back to the beginning of this countdown, but uh, Jake, just your thoughts here in terms of Evan Batty, you mentioned that he's had issues with foul trouble in the past. Uh, what are your expectations for his, his last year as a buff? Academic All-American maybe. I mean, he already graduated college. He's, he's in grad school. Try to get Evan to take my class and he wouldn't because he's like, I'm in grad school, homie. I can't uh, talk about him being the most popular buff. I have never, I mean, in college, sure. But like, Man, that dude's showing up tailgates. I was at a tailgate for a football game and Evan Batty's showing up taking shots with people. Like, like it was awesome. And, you know, he can do it. He's over 21 and he wants to be, you know, part of the CU culture. He loves the football team just as much as, you know, the fans watching this. He's out there doing the same stuff as you do because he bleeds black and gold. And we've heard this with other guys before. But how many guys do you think really bleed black and gold? It's like Phil Lindsay. You know, we're talking about Phil Lindsay, Evan Batty. You know, maybe McKinley Wright's in the same boat. You know, Spencer Dinley. We're talking about some elite caliber buffs, bleeding black and gold. Uh, and, and I love those guys. Uh, and Evan's just so lovable as a player. Uh, now, getting away from the super relatives and the stuff that's kind of not translatable onto the basketball court. Uh, the one thing that I think would prevent him from being a basketball coach, a head basketball coach, is he's not mean enough. Like, he's the nicest person on the planet. Uh and I want to see him get a little meaner on the court. Yeah, he's a really aggressive player. He sometimes, and he can be, uh, you know, someone that's ferocious. But I want to see him get a little mean. I want to see him cut it up. I want to see him throw some elbows. And I just don't think that's Evan Batty's game. Like Evan, you know, we, we, Evan had that amazing moment with 
with Tristan's brother, Oscar, Oscar a few years ago. And I think that's, he's just so nice, but I want to see Evan get mad. I want to see Evan say, these are my rebounds. I want to see Evan say, these are my buckets in the post. And, and if Evan can be a guy that can be the buffs leading scorer or leading rebounder, that's a really valuable thing to the buffs because you know, we're talking about Evan as number one on this list, but I'm not sure what he's going to lead the buffs in this year, except for actual leadership. Uh, you know, he, he's a really good player. He's a really, really good player, but I see him more as a top level role player or like, uh, 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 uh you know, a Robin to, to Batman rather than being the main, main guy. So I really hope Jabari Walker or Keyshawn Bartholomew can step up and really take some of the load off Evan Batty because my nightmare scenario for this season is, you know, one of those guys doesn't step up and we're all sitting here going, Evan Batty can't lead this team. And also Evan Batty isn't good enough. And why isn't Evan Batty better? And you're saying, Jake, that would never happen, but look what happened. Phil Lindsay's senior year, you know? Uh, yeah, we all saw Phil play phenomenally, but, but Evan isn't an NBA caliber player. Like Phil was an NFL caliber player. You know, uh, I, I just worry that what's around Evan may not be enough to make Evan look great. Uh, but if the bar raises and the talent around Colorado, which it should, given what is on that court rises, um, Evan might fall to number three or four on this list by the end of the year. And that would be just about the best damn thing for Evan and for this team. And you know, you're talking about Evan as being one of, uh, you know, a really solid Pac-12 player and being someone that's a very valuable power forward in this conference. And you're talking about him behind a couple guys after being arguably the second or third best player last year behind Deshaun Schwartz uh, and McKinley Wright, maybe even Dallas Walton at times. Uh, if they can get those guys, if Lawson Lovering can get to any semblance of what Dallas Walton was last year and be by Evan Batty's side, if Jari, Jabari Walker is just what he was last year and hopefully he's even better, if Keyshawn Bartholomew can, can consistently show some of the flashes that he showed last year, you're looking at a really good team around Evan Batty, but I don't think Evan Batty's a guy who can just throw the ball down into the post. I don't think Evan Batty's a guy who can throw the ball to in the perimeter and say, make a play. Like, that's not his game. Now, one of the things we haven't seen with Evan Batty, just because the ball isn't in his hands so much, because McKinley Wright, is Evan Batty is a very good big playmaking big. Now, he's not Nikola Jokic uh, throwing eight assists a game, but he can be like Arvita Sabonis throwing three or four. And that's really, really important if he can get three or four assists out of the post or from the wing or out of the corner or on the fast break throwing, you know, quick passes. So uh, if Evan Batty can can show all that all around game, maybe 12 points, you know, two and a half, three assists and eight rebounds a game. I think those are good numbers for him, particularly because he's doing a lot of the small things around the court. Now, like you said, staying on the floor, staying out of foul trouble and actually playing really good post defense. And can he do that against really big Pac-12 players when he's undersized and he doesn't have a bigger center and he's maybe playing the actual five role? Um, these are questions going into next year. And you see, as we count down the list, I started to get a little bit more negative. It was all positivity towards the end, but it's because there's expectation and with expectation comes disappointment in these guys. And I really hope that's not the case with Evan Batty or Jabari Walker, because I, I truly do think a lot of these players and they are phenomenal basketball players. Now it's about stepping their game up to the next level. And these are the questions they are asking of themselves right now as they enter the season, which starts very soon. Down a point, 10 seconds left. 
who knows who's going to get the ball that gives Colorado some flexibility. There's not that go-to guy. It's a new year, a new team. It's going to be a different look out there. A lot of young guys on this team that I think it's going to be one of those seasons where they're going to make you scream and want to throw your remote at the TV one night, but you're going to see the growth out of this group. I think it's going to be, even if they don't make the NCAA tournament, even if, you know, they're a 500 or an NIT team this year, it's still going to be a team that you're going to be able to watch their growth. And that part of the process is going to be fun. Jake, I think that maybe some people are going to have uh, too high of expectations, but don't you think this is going to be generally a fun season, a fun team to watch? You know, what concerns me a little bit, and Tad Boyle's never wrong, is Tad Boyle said he really likes this team and he says this team is good. Uh, He's only been wrong maybe once in his 12 years about the caliber of team he's had. Uh, Tad Boyle saying this team is good, that might be an indicator that they're a little bit better than I think they are. Like you, Adam, I think they're maybe an NIT team that's a little bit above 500, uh, that struggles to win some games in the Pac-12 on the road and maybe drops one or two at home. You know, they have some tough non-conference games. I ultimately see this as a transitional year. I don't see this as the year. Um, You know, I could see Jabari Walker coming back. I could see Jabari Walker going. Uh, That obviously will have a big impact on the Buffs' future. But the Buffs' future really is in what can Keyshawn Bartholomew do in terms of development? Can Lawson Lovering turn himself into a starting caliber Pac-12 big this year? Can Nick Clifford turn into a starting caliber wing? Uh, Can KJ Simpson jump up to being a starting guy that replaces Eli Parquet or Javon Ruffin even makes those gains uh, as a redshirt? You know, these are all questions as we kind of await Quincy Allen and some of the guys coming in in the next recruiting class. Uh, this is a transitional year to me. This is not a pa- this is not a tournament team, at least on paper to me, in my mind. I think there needs to be some big gains made by this team in order to make that tournament. Now, if they beat Tennessee and Kansas, we might be changing that discussion. Uh, they are home games. They, sh- you know, in Tad Boyle's mind, they should be winning those games at home. Those are tough games, though, to win at home. Uh, but I just I don't see how they're going to make the tournament or how people say, oh, they made the tournament last year and they're bringing back, you know, Evan Batty and Jabari Walker. Well, all they're really bringing back are Evan Batty and Jabari Walker in terms of offensive production and then Eli Parquet in terms of defensive production. Now, look down that list. Bartholomew was barely a rotation player last year. De Silva only played when guys were hurt. And then there's nothing else but garbage minutes and freshmen. So expecting the buffs to get to exactly where they were last year, I think is completely an unfair expectation. They lost Deshaun Schwartz, who quite literally was the most efficient player uh, in the transfer market this year or the transfer portal. Deshaun Schwartz was a phenomenal wing. Dallas Walton was so good in limited minutes for Colorado last year. And those were important minutes. And he did some really big things at times for Colorado. Jariah Horn stretched this floor and was a great shooter and also collected some big rebounds in games. They lost a lot of things from last year. You just can't pencil them up and say they were in the tournament last year. They're going to be back there this year. That's completely unfair for this team. And it's about how can Evan Batty leave his legacy on this program and transition the next group of guys led by Keyshawn Bartholomew into this next era? This is a perfect opportunity for a transitional year. And I think it's going to be so much fun if you temper your expectations and say, hey, we're going to watch Keyshawn, Keyshawn Bartholomew hopefully turn into something special this year. We're going to watch Neek Clifford and Luke O'Brien take those next steps, steps and find out 
how good of an athlete Julian Hammond really is now that he's at a Pac-12 level rather than playing at Cherry Creek and absolutely running amok uh, across all sports in Colorado high school. So uh, those are my hopes for this year. These are my expectations. Uh, I, I, I hate having expectations for these teams, but it was rightful last year to have the expectation to go to the tournament because it was McKinley Wright's senior year, and that's all McKinley Wright wanted. Now, this team, I don't think it's okay to say this team's going to the tournament and just pencil it in. And, you know, did they get snubbed a little bit by the Pac-12 writers with seventh place in the conference? And, you know, Sports Illustrated said they were 72nd best team in the country today. Maybe a little bit, but that's probably about fair. I'd have them a little bit higher, maybe sixth and like 65th or sixth and, you know, 70, but it's like a marginal amount of difference. I think they're right about where they should be right now. And we're going to see a lot of growing pains with this team, but we're also going to see a lot of fun. And maybe like McKinley Wright's freshman year with Evan Batty, where they upset Arizona and Arizona state, they can do some of those things this year and have some big moments, but they're going to have some tough struggles out on the road in Pac-12 play as well. All right, Jake, thanks for joining me on the Top Buffs Countdown. Again, November 9th against Montana State is the opener at the CU Events Center. Thanks for tuning in.